Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, welcome back to Fandom Power Presents The Fandalorian. My name is Wes Harscott, and today, I, once again, I am joined here in studio by my recording partner, producer, editor, Andy. Hello. And once again, for the last time of the season, we get a whole other year. Hank McLaughlin, how are you, sir? Amazing. I, I don't know if parts of me have ever been better. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was uh, what mid October. We had uh, convened to do a uh, eight part uh, review series, and uh, this is it. This is uh, week eight. We uh, we got on that train and we rode it to the end of the line, and here we are. And on some level, it does feel like an end of the line. I feel that we got some uh, some serious closure on uh, on uh, one of the the lingering plot threads. But what a ride. I, I know. Huge, yeah. huge ride. I, I wonder, like, it's all, I mean, there's danglers, but for the most part, it's wrapped up in a bow, right? And it, it's, it feels like. It's funny it's, you it's say that because I call it. intentional and, yeah. When you say wrapped it up with a bow, it's funny because I actually called this the Christmas miracle episode <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> no, certainly yeah, so it's uh, it's chapter 16, The Rescue. It's written by John Favreau. This one directed by Peyton Reed once again, and oh my God. Um, if you didn't enjoy Peyton Reed's other uh, directing outings on this one, all I got to say to you is how can you not like this one? There's a directing style here that I just, I think of his work on Ant-Man, and I think this is something completely different. Like this is on a whole other level from what we've seen from him. And it's like, for me, it's an over-the-moon uh, directorial effort. It's, it, yeah, he does a few nods to other sci-fi franchises. Yeah. Like, we'll come to them organically, but they're like, they're timed and done brilliantly. He's he's actually, yeah, he's quite impressive. I, I kind of want to rewatch some of his other work in in a new context. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I'm very interested to see, very interested to see in what projects he'll do next and, and see what other choices he'll make is he attached to the third ant-man movie the uh, into the quantum verse or whatever it's called the multiverse maybe i'd have to look that up andy you're a marvel yeah, guy what yeah. do you think i uh, don't know for sure okay well we'll look it up the runtime this week it's 46 minutes and 12 seconds with the recap or 44 41 without our synopsis this week is the mandalorian and the child continue their journey through a dangerous galaxy how ambiguous for such a huge episode right well, it's, it's, you know how good they are at keeping secrets? Uh, it's, oh, yeah. Maybe the smaller format is easy, like, benefits that. But these things are always, like, the big films are always broken. They're, they're leaked. They're broken. People pay people. Yeah, months and months people, in advance. Fans know where it's being filmed, so they get these obscure photographs. And, well, we know the fol- Falcons in this one. Right. And so, like, they've been able to, like, even though I had read probably six months before the premiere of season one, episode one, that there was going to be some connections to Yoda's species in this. Yep. When I saw that kid in the in the pram, it blew my mind. Oh yeah, me too. You know, and they've been so good at keeping 
you know, there's been very few script leaks, very few plot leaks, and most of the beats we anticipated because we're good at our game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been very fortunate to, uh, I shouldn't say fortunate, I guess it just speaks maybe to the the level of passion that we have for Star Wars as a as a brand and as a as a cultural icon that we are so immersed in all things Star Wars that it's really worked out for our show that we've with very little additional research have been able to make all of these uh these connections and I don't know it just it's it feels so good to come together on a Saturday and you know to hammer this one out and know that we're we're reaching people who are enjoying it on the level that we are. It's cool at work. I have a few younger fellows that work for me and they, they're not necessarily Star Wars fans, but I'll just like, instead of listening to loud music and stuff, I'll just throw in the podcast on my, on my, and they'll listen to it and they'll ask me questions and they start to engage it. A couple of them started watching the movies and shows yeah. and they're, it's, it's kind of wild to watch these, these things burgeon if, if at all, or yeah. maybe they're just tolerating me, but. I pay them to do that. So, <laughs> well, I, I can't, uh, I can't bring this up without. I just want to put a special thanks out to uh, Mikey, to John, and to Vic, who uh, Eric. I know you're out there too. Who contact me on a weekly basis after seeing the episode? They they see our posts on social media, and uh, they listen to our show. So they've, uh, it's been fun to talk with them because it's a where I get to do a lot of my. Uh, a lot of my uh, theorizing, I get to hammer it out with those guys before we come together to do the show. So I just want to say thanks, guys, for helping me uh, work on my show notes. I know you didn't tell you that <laughs> before, but now you know. <laughs> so That's thank, awesome. Thank That's you for that. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, no man is an island. Exactly. So uh, a moment for Jeremy Bullock. Yeah. We lost mm-hmm. Boba Fett this week. And it's kind of, it's like, does the universe time <laughs> time these things? I don't know. It's kind of weird. The resurgence of Boba Fett and maybe he, some part of him was able to, to, to go softly into that good night. Because maybe. I know there was a nice, uh, nice tribute from Daniel Logan this week, sharing a photo of the two of them together. And, and although they never got to work together, Daniel was very, uh, he made a very affectionate uh, post about, you know, being Star Wars brothers and, and, you know, going to miss him on the convention circuit. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, part of it being, you know, a Star Wars fan is there's a relatability that it is like a family. And, and I think that that's not just on the cast crew side of things, but we as fans share in these moments deeply, you know, like we, I think you and I, Hank, had actually said, you know, talking about the passing of Carrie Fisher, that she was our princess too, right? Oh hell yeah! You know, and yeah, and like, and even the younger fan, like Lauren's a little bit younger than us, and and to her, Carrie Fisher was space mom. Yeah, right. Yeah, of like, course. and so, and yeah, and so yeah, we do form these connections, and they, they're. I, I say it all the time, man. This is this, this is the modern mythology. It is, and I I often wonder in, in ancient Greece did they did they realize what they believed in was the mythology of the future and i can see a place where a thousand years from now people are like people believe that wizards could move objects with their minds and had laser swords <laughs> yeah. and do you know what i mean where it transfers yeah. from, from like movies and and stories to a to a myth thousands of years from now and that's that's awesome that we're living in it and i i feel like we're aware of it you can't tell me that a lightsaber is not an allegory for excalibur oh hell yeah so 
Yeah. So, man, we've already been uh, blabbing away here for a while. I was going to say, do we have any initial thoughts? But I think we've put uh, we've put quite a few of them out there. I'm going to add a couple of points here that I just made. <laughs> like I said, uh, this one was the Christmas miracle episode. And uh, as I said uh, pre-show, I said it to Andy on the way in today. Uh, I have never been more happy to be wrong about my theories. So take that for what it is. What about you guys? Anything else you want to add? Uh, <laughs> I wept like a baby. <laughs> oh my god! I, yeah, man, it was like some sort of weird catharsis, yep. or something, <laughs> or a magic Disney yeah. spell. <laughs> we should probably take a minute and actually talk about that aspect of the show alone, because if we don't talk about it now, we're gonna we're gonna gush on it later. But like, is there anybody in the room that did not have an outpouring of emotion at that moment in the show? Um, no there was emotion yeah so i take it from the silence that we all had similar yeah i like i have never been as as emotionally charged for a star wars thing since you know being a kid staring at the consumers distributing catalog going i want Mm -hmm. that i want that i want that the closest thing for me was taking my my uh my son who was like at the time I don't know, nine or 10 months old, not even a year Yeah, to see the special editions in theaters. And when the crawl came up and I just got crazy emotional. Yeah. Um, able to share that with him, even though he didn't even know he was there, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so that was the, and there's been a few moments, but that was the last time where I was just like, uh, I realized what a crazy big part of my life. Someone else's uh, intellectual property had become. Yeah. <laughs> I think something, and I don't think it's a fair stretch to say that something magical happened in this episode that just, you know, we've we've mentioned before about the redeeming properties and the redeeming qualities of the series and how it's doing for the sequels what Clone Wars did for the prequels. And if that didn't happen this week, like if that wasn't solidified then I don't know what else could do it. But I mean, again, something magical this week. And we all, we all felt it on a deeply personal level that I think we weren't expecting. I agree. Well, let's get into the breakdown and let's uh, go through some of the beats and uh, talk about the, the highs of the episode, because ordinarily I'd say the highs and lows, but they're really not a lot of lows in this one. Like it starts off strong super, super going. high. Yeah. 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 So we open the uh, we open the this the episode with a uh, dogfight between Slave One and a Lambda class shuttle. The uh, Lambda is disabled by an ion blast from uh, Slave One. Pretty On, good pilots too. Because yeah, like, like I've flown the Slave One in the games, and you could take out a shuttle no problem. So those those pilots were flying their little tails off, I believe. I think so too. Really, really liked the characterization of the of the the two pilots. I thought they were exceptionally well done. When they get to the the little exposition part, just, we, just before the second one spoke, I thought they were twins. Yeah, almost. Yeah, <laughs> we see that uh, on board the shuttle. We've got uh, Doctor Pershing, mm. and clearly they're trying to get him back to Moff Gideon's cruiser because that's where the the shuttle is going. At least I think anyway. So after the uh, after the shuttle is disabled with the ion blast, you have this imposing shot of the Slave One passing over the canopy of the uh, the so Lambda. Good. So intimidating, you know. 
it's almost like, you know, when you're, uh, was it the 89, not the 89, the 98 Godzilla where Matthew Broderick's standing there and Godzilla comes out of the water. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the head raising yeah. up out of the water is kind of passes him. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. Prepare for boarding, and uh, they do board. And Mando walks onto the uh, walks onto the bridge with his pistol drawn, and there's a bit of a, a standoff moment between the pilots and uh, and our heroes. And the one pilot's ready to give up. Yeah, he doesn't want to die. He's very much like I'm not with them. I don't want to die. But then yeah. the other guy's like a hard stance. Yeah, so hard. Die hard Empire guy. So hard that he shoots his co-pilot in the back, you know. Right, um, yeah. And then we have this moment of exposition where, like, if you haven't figured it out by now in the last, uh, well, two seasons of the show, they say with, you know, all clarity that Dr. Pershing is a clone engineer. So yeah, there you is, go. Yeah, and it, like, it was all but confirmed before. Right. You know, I think you were the first one to spot the patch that, yeah. I, that I know and even read about. And it absolutely confirms it with dialogue. So yeah, it's, that's a, that's a almost bookends because we caught that second episode right away. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an exposition piece on how important he is to the, uh, to the movement. And uh, essentially we have this moment where, uh, and then Kara steps onto the, onto the bridge and there's this moment of like super, super tense moment between the two of them because it turns out that this guy was on the Death Star and he starts trash-talking Kara. Oh, it's crazy. About the destruction of Alderaan. She tells a joke in the middle of it. Yeah, she's. Uh, she <laughs> yeah, says, she, which uh, one? I was on the Death Star and she's like, which one? Yeah. And she does a little smirk like, and then he's literally, you think you're funny? And uh, yeah. More dropping about... You know, for the, the belief system of the Empire. Right, know? and I mean... Destroying your world is a small price to pay to rid the... The, the galaxy the, of the terrorism. galaxy of terrorism. Like, like they just... They killed millions of people. That's right. And, total, that, and, and this is all about perspectives again. Yeah, and we've talked about that before. Perspective and fanaticism and what people will go through for what they believe in. And so, I mean, you know, if you throw that guy into the last episode, he's a believer too, right? Hell yeah. But um, that goes back and forth a couple of ways, and you can just see like Kara is really struggling with this, and oh, yeah. she's, uh, finally she's she's, uh, she's had enough, and she uh, shoots him in the face. <laughs> and I was low, like, and it's a close up shot too, right? Like, oh, yeah. it just like goes from him basically snarling at her to smoking char, and uh, Pershing screaming and clutching his ears because of the blaster yeah. shot. Just great. Tiny little continuity error. I don't even know continuity, but in the descriptive audio, they say that the blast grazes his cheek, but we clearly see it's scorched his ear. Yeah. I don't even know if I caught that, to be honest with you. Yeah. So she blasts him in the face. Roll title cards. (laughs) How's that for an opener? Man. We move on and we see Slave One now descending towards a planet that's orbited by two moons. Could not come up with a reference for this planet. There was no tells. Had a Tatooine um, vibe. Tatooine's got two moons. It had that rocky, gray, brown, tan-colored landscape. But yeah. Once you get there, it's a lot different on the surface. It appears that it's an industrial world, and we can see imperial industrial complexes peppered across the surface. Portion of the buildings, I don't know if you noticed, had the lar- had a large imperial logo on them. Yes. Slave One uh, descends and lands at a settlement next to a Mandalorian gauntlet fighter, presumably belonging to Bo-Katan. 
There, uh, Mando and Boba make their way to the cantina where they find Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves sitting under what appears to be a menu board. The menu board that is... That shot where they walk in together and they're just their helmet, the two silhouettes of their helmets yeah. are offset. I, I paused it and I was just like, wow, it's beautiful. <laughs> I didn't quite understand. It was like, you know, in the first season, season one, episode one, Mando walks into the cantina and all eyes are on him and then they all just kind of like go back to what they were doing, like yeah. pretend you didn't yeah, see yeah. him. This one takes it a step farther and people start clearing out just at the sight of the two of them walking in. I'm like, really? The two of them is enough to provoke. And then well, it's now like, there's four well, now there's four of them. Yeah. <laughs> this can't be good. Is this the way they mate? Yeah. So just want to point out here, Sasha Banks, you're a liar lady. You said you were only going to be in one episode, but you lied. So That's fantastic. There's some I intentional misdirection. I don't mind a little, uh, little crafty misdirection. No, in fact, it uh, it worked really well for the uh, for the I guess the uh, the punchline. I guess. Mm-hmm. That's right. Menu board in Orabesh. What do we got? Uh, I have to open that. I got a bunch of different stuff. My, the standout for me was the Melurons. Melurons. Uh, yeah, there, fruit. There's a price beside it. I I, I kind of dabbled in that. I didn't get too far into it. Most of it was blurry, but there's That's okay. like Endorian tuna or something like that there's a bunch yeah. of i mean there was shack kebabs uh, kadu ribs yeah shack kebabs i saw yeah, the, the when you sent the over kadu ribs. yeah kadu ribs so kadu is kind of funny because kadu are the the bipedal uh beasts that were rode into battle by the gungans yeah <laughs> that's right jar jar connection yeah really eh uh, a couple of uh when I saw Shaq on there, I'm like, that's the same spelling as Shaq T is in Jedi Shaq Master. T, yeah, that was a little scary. Yeah. Like, is that a little, is that an intentional, like, little, <laughs> but yeah, so essentially it's a, it's a menu board of uh, food items. Space Real, waffles. Space waffles. Yes. I'll take my caddy with a side of space waffles, please. Short stack. Striding up to the table, Mando basically says, I need your help. And uh, Bo-Katan is really not impressed to see Boba Fett and she there's a there's an exchange there where she's like well not all Mandalorians are bounty hunters and he's like well they took the child and she's like who did and Gideon she's like okay but then there's this there's this tense moment between her and Boba and Casca where they really kind of start picking on uh, Boba's lineage about how he's she she literally says uh, because he said this armor belonged to my father yeah uh, well, actually, Boba starts it. Boba does start it because she mentions Mandalore, and then he snuffs it. That he goes, that Mandalore, the Empire turned Mandalore to glass. Yes, he and does. She says, "You're a disgrace to the armor." He says, "It's my father's armor." And she says, "Don't you mean your donor?" Your donor. And that's where it yeah. starts to really get heated. It does. Just want to circle back to the glass comment for a se- for a second. We've been mm. we've been trying to speculate uh, speculate what's happened to Mandalore and and I actually went I went back and I watched the uh, four four or so episodes of Rebels that that yes. take place in and around Mandalore and I mm. mean it was pretty barren in that but I d- I wouldn't say that it was glass no so it, they describe it as being destroyed by generations of, of yeah just nonstop war, war eternal wars nothing's been able wars. to grow back right right they all live under in domed cities on Mandalore. But, you know, for Boba to go as far as to say that it was turned to glass, we'd speculated that maybe, you know, a uh, single reactor ignition from the Death Star. Does that, is that a, you know. It's the fourth version of what people believe. Yeah. Because there's a, 
there's a we've we've seen people believe that it doesn't exist at all a la alderon and now we've heard it's like like turned to glass which is synonymous with like nuclear destruction yeah if you will. we always that city was turned to glass or, yeah if you heat sand um, enough you get glass and bo katan believes it's a place where she could go and plant the the dark saber in a stone and rule for the rest of her that's her right days, yeah, that's you know? right yeah. and and yeah. so there's very there's a lot like what is going on and you know what i think we're going to get the answers in a bunch of different ways coming i do too i think we're actually going to get now oh sorry one more time three spinoffs now three so is it three or is it two uh, that's something i want to talk about but i'm going to save that one for okay. later because okay. i got i got a theory on that oh yeah so yeah this this exchange keeps going back and forth and then Costca gets involved or no she says uh i didn't know sidekicks were allowed to talk which is kind of funny considering that she's, she's the, the sidekick, sidekick. Yeah. Uh. And then for me, this was the only little weak moment of the thing because in my head, Boba just wipes the floor with her. So the fact that she does anything she, at all, <laughs> she goes toe to toe with him. I know. And, and for me, I just was I, I I couldn't accept it. I don't know why that it was a standoff. Yeah, perhaps she's an amazing like it's because she's the sidekick. So Bo Katan's got to be even better than her. So if she's if she's equal to. Uh, do you know where I'm going with this? I do. If she's equal to Boba Fett, then Boba Fett loses to Bo-Katan, and my brain can't accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, that's but fair. But other than that, it was, she did use a jetpack indoors kind of craftily. Yeah, so and, and she pulls off a Hurricane DDT. It's, it's true. <laughs> I guess he wasn't prepared for that, so I'll get, okay. And they did throw yeah. each other through tables like a chess match. Yeah. True. He pulls out a, another... Uh, colloquialism of star wars that we've never heard before by saying well oh, if yeah. if that isn't the quack to call on the stiffling slimy which well, i it's... presume is you know a star warsy way of the pot calling the kettle black yeah that's fantastic yeah 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 there's a few in this episode there are there's even yeah there's even more um more exposition about boba and his lineage and and i he throws out at one point he's he he's like careful princess and I'm like, is he making, is that a Leia reference there? Like it's, it's very, I, so I, as soon as that happened it for me and uh, on the second watch when I was watching it with the wife, I was, it was, I was like, there's a Han Solo reference, but at the same time, she is the princess of Mandalore. Cause that is was she the though? first words out of my mouth. Or a duchess. Is it semantic? Well, Does it matter? I think it's semantic. Yeah. Okay. I think that she's fulfilling the Leia role in terms of, of, who she is to Alderaan or who yeah. she is to Mandalore. To Mandalore yeah. And so, and, and we get the, the double entendre of the Han Solo line. And yeah. I think he says it again later on in the episode. And when we get there again, organically, but I think it adds a third layer to it. And I'll explain that. Okay. So she says, I've heard your voice a thousand times before. And he's like, well, mine might be the last one you hear. And that's when, awesome. that's, that's when great uh, he and, and Koska get into that uh, tussle. But afterwards, she, Bo-Katan breaks it up and, uh, they finally she she agrees that she's gonna go and help help Mando, and for the second time she puts a condition on. But we're gonna get we get to keep the ship. He offers though. Yeah, she's she's building a fleet. Yeah. So the last time was back in uh, in the Eris where mm-hmm. they acquired that. Um, oh, the Lord. transport. Yeah. Carrier. The uh, I can't think of the name of it now. It's not, I can see it. Ar- I can read Ar- it. Arkansas or Ar- no the uh, the one that the drops the two Tie Fighters the. Uh, Anyway, she gets a, a Gozanti, Gozanti uh, freighter. 
That's right. So she's picked that one up now. Now she's she's basically saying, I'm going to claim this cruiser as my reward for helping you. And Mando essentially is like, yeah, okay. Well, he suggests it to her. <laughs> he does, yeah. He says, uh, you he know, does. he's got a light cruiser and uh, you're looking for Mando fleets. Right. You can have it. So there's um, there's a point where she beckons him. You should really reconsider, you know, coming with us or joining us. Yeah, when your mission is done, right? Consider and, joining us. And he he acknowledges. He's like, yes, yeah, okay. Yes. Like he'll consider it. And even further at the end, just right at the end of the conversation, he says, "I'll do whatever you want as long as you help me get the job." Right. Like he's my only priority. So I think that's what season three is going to be going for. It's going to get this this Mandalore conclusion. Yeah, that's uh, a cook. We're definitely going to get. I think that's what we're building towards anyway, and that that. That's an exciting prospect about how they explore that, which brings me to a whole other host of questions that I'm going to save for later. <laughs> there's some exposition about taking back the dark saber, and then there's this this point about making. There's she makes a point to tell us that it cannot cut pure Beskar. Yes, and I don't know why. I feel like did we not already establish that when uh, Din fought mm. Ahsoka? Yeah, or. Maybe just yes, to reestablish that the dark saber is, is not a lightsaber. It's a different, yeah, a I, different I type. Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was almost more powerful than a lightsaber in a lot of ways. Because she's like, it can cut through anything. Well, even we've just never pure seen Beskar. it. We've never seen the only time we've ever seen it versus a lightsaber is when Kanan is training. Kanan Sabine, is training Sabine, and he clearly could tune her because of his skill level. Yeah, but that blade was mighty. And I, I've always got the feeling like that it, as an individual item, like think B and D. Yes. This is a this is a, a character item, whereas a lightsaber is probably a plus three or right, a plus like four a generic weapon. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With skill attached to it, but this thing is an enchanted weapon, if you will. But I'm not sure if it's you know what the context is, but he makes a point to tell uh, when he's when Kane and Jarrus is actually uh, trying to to uh, teach Sabine uh, swords sword play. He makes a point to say that it, it's heavy. Yes. You know, and that as you become one with it, it and it he, becomes it, lighter. He doesn't even say it as a force kind of thing, although that's the way, like, you know, we interpret it. But like, like the master would tell a student in a, in a, in, in actual sword play, as you become one with the blade, it'll get lighter. Yeah. And you just, it's going to start to, you know, so he, there is that, that uh, you can tune into the, uh, to the weapon. It becomes lighter when you gain ability. Well, as Bo-Katan, the fact that it's uh, sort of an enchanted object. Yeah, that it's something. It is. It's some. It's definitely something special. And uh, Bo-Katan continues to talk a little bit more about it. And and interestingly enough, this is where things start to come together. Where like from the her previous episode, talking about you know her zeal, and that's the only way I can describe it. Is she has this zeal where she has to get to Gideon, and it, there's a lot of double. She speaks in a lot of double speak. When it comes to getting to Gideon versus getting to the dark saber, and that there's there we find out we're gonna find out later that there's a difference. <laughs> yes, but the, it's it's this whole double speak where if you didn't pick up on it before, it's kind of showing through here now. And she's like Gideon yeah. is mine. Yeah. So I mean, she and it, said, yeah, three times she says it in different ways that are yeah, just deliberately elusive so that the first time you watch it, you can just ignore it. Right. That it's not specifically about that. Clearly, she wants the Darksaber on her quest to, to liberate Mandalore, but I almost feel like, is there something sinister there? 
Is there something a little more ominous underneath about, you know, not only does she want to liberate Mandalore, but is there like, it's a, like she's sort of gotten on the, on the high horse about like, she has to be the ruler. Well, power corrupts. Well, this is so, what I'm wondering. And she went from like in, in her, in her arc in Clone Wars, she's like a lackey to the mercenary boss. Yeah. And so she's, she's drank the Kool-Aid and she's all in that the other members of Mandalore that aren't following Death Watch or at least following their, they want to return to that warlike nature of Mandalorians. Uh, the, they're, they're not the real Mandalorians. And then she, she has a character arc. She grows to accept that Mandalorians are, are a creed, not necessarily a race. And so that by the time of Rebels, she's accepting off-world Mandalorians, like people from Concord Dawn and stuff, right? And now she's almost got to come to terms with clones. Yeah. So it's like a, it's another level of, of that. But I, I do I, I do get something nefarious about, about her. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, like power corrupts. I'm not saying that she's got ulterior motives, but she might have some ulterior motives, right? Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Like by any means necessary. This is it. Yeah, that's what yeah, it feels exactly. like. Yeah, very much so. Exactly. So then again, that... it, it creates the perspective lines because uh, our whole uh, junior careers, if you will, with Star Wars bounty hunters have been the bad guys. Yeah, right. They, yeah, absolutely, they have. They're that. Uh, well, scum and villainy, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that is the what we're taught right from the beginning. So now we've got the the sort of princess of Mandalore uh, trying to liberate her people and her planet. Yep, could be the adversary to the the good natured bounty hunter trying to make his any way, through way the she can. Yeah. So here's a question for her. I was going to save it for later, but I'm just going to bring this up now. At the end of that four episode arc in Rebels, she had the support of all the assembled clans. Where yes. where is her people now? Yes. Because I feel like she's very much out on her own and it's just her and a couple of the night owls and that's it. Right? If she's collecting these right. ships, where are they going and who's who's manning them for her? She's got to have a power base somewhere, but we haven't seen that. No, I I definitely agree. And if another thing is that there's suspiciously no Mandalorian ships at all. Well, that's what I mean. There's her And that's in that scene from the rise of Skywalker where there's thousands of ships from all over the galaxy come to destroy those. Oh, that's order. interesting. I never there paid attention no to that. Mando, there's no gauntlets. There's no razor crest. There's no slave one or any, any of that okay. at all. Yeah. And suggesting that 35 years in the future, there's, yeah. there, there, there is. And that's another thing. Did you notice? And I was thinking about this the other day too, and I'm sorry, I'm sidetracking nope, so much. Okay. But in, in the original trilogy, there's a Mandalorian. He's a single Mandalorian, but it's all we know about Mandalorian armor and it's Boba Fett and he's, yep. he's elusive and weird and we love it. And in the prequel trilogy, there's Jango Fett and the genesis of Boba Fett, but there's still a Mandalorian element. In fact, yeah. they, they become super important because they use his DNA to make all the clones. That's right. All the clones are ostensibly Mandalorian. We get that Mandalorian war that we read about in the novels when we were kids. The sequels have nothing like that at all. No, they really there's don't do that. one single Mandalorian character there's a couple shots at it they're trying to make zori bliss cool. oh yeah 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 they they try to make phasma cool phasma would have been better as a silver mandalorian yeah phasma to me was the boba fett of the the sequels only crazy dropped ball yeah i mean yeah sorry that was my rant that's okay we move to another exterior shot of the cantina only now the lambda shuttle is parked with the other ships that are collected there 
none of which I could identify because they were just too small. I kind of wondered if maybe the one on the left-hand side might have been the same ship model they used in season one, the the fighter that got blasted in the space station. But I can't be certain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut to an interior of Slave 1 where Pershing is now in shackles and we're now starting to work out the plan, the plan to liberate Grogu from Gideon's uh, light cruiser. So we get a, a nice schematic and Bo-Katan sort of lays out the, the layout of the ship. She says a point about how in the old times that this would be crewed by hundreds of, uh, hundreds of, of troopers and crew, but that's not the case now. It's only operating with a fraction of the crew, in which Pershing points out that her analysis isn't quite accurate. And Kara's got a great line here. Oh, finally, an objective opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really good line. So Pershing uh, details that they're the complement of dark troopers. And yeah, so I guess we were right from the the get-go with the cold yeah, store the cold storage facility. That's correct. Yeah, so we it's were speculating there might have been an organic element, but we were pretty as soon as we saw them, yeah. the skinny elbows, skinny waist, we knew they were droids. And definitely we'd said phase 3 and he actually yeah. says that they're, you know, third stage or whatever it is. Third generation dark Yeah, troopers. third gen. So there you go, everybody, phase 3 dark troopers for and sure. And they had eliminated the last week component which was the organic the human factor yeah 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 yeah, yeah. droids funny you know first a full circle moment you know we have a you know the separatists the confederacy with their droid armies and you know the republic is like you know can't beat the living right (laughs) gotta have a clone army because they're better and now we've gone full circle back to droids again anyway um interestingly enough and, and you know what this comes up throughout the episode it's pervasive and it's it's a great uh it just by circumstance they really had an opportunity here to do this. And I'm I'm now calling the, when they split the group into two, where it's Mando by himself and everybody else, mm-hmm. um, it's the Spice Girls. It's a whole girl power thing. Uh-huh. But it's like. I said, I said four girls, one Mando. <laughs> well done. I say this in the most loving, reverent, respectful way that it's the Spice Girls and the whole girl power thing. And it's done way better then that scene in Endgame where they force all the women together for that hero shot. This were, doesn't feel contrived. Not at all. At all. It's completely the, organic. I even ask my friends that are of, of, of different colors and different beliefs and stuff. Does, sure. Does any of this stuff feel like pandering to you? Because if, if you were pandering to me, I wouldn't want that. I'd want it to be genuine. Yeah. And, and so this feels really genuine to me. Yeah, uh, me too. So the plan is that the Spice Girls will clear the landing bay and draw off any draw any of the forces away from the shuttle, which would allow Mando to slip away alone to the brig to try and pick up Grogu. But we get our second uh, colloquialism. Yeah. Uh, a real skank in the scud pie. Yeah. yeah. A skank in the scud pie. And Andy, you equated that to... This is not the first time they've used it, though. No. Like a fully says it uh, yeah. in one of the episodes. Yeah. What did you say? We're, we're a fly in the ointment. A fly basically. in the ointment. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else to fit that, so that works for me. Yeah. Listeners, if you've got another interpretation of that, I'd love to hear it. No, it's definitely, that's that's definitely what it means. So Mando's got to, he's got to pass the Dark Trooper holding bay in order to meet up with everybody on the bridge. So he takes Pershing's code cylinder, here we go, code cylinder again, once again, tying it back to security clearance, use the code cylinder to seal off the uh, the bay and then meet up on the bridge. Yeah, Compnor. Yeah, exactly. 
So now we move into the, oh, right. And sorry, there's um, the other part of the plan is that they're going to mount a distress, uh, distress signal and have Boba Fett chase them, essentially making it look like they're under attack. And they'll use that as the guys to uh, board, to board the cruiser. So we get this cool, I quite like this scene. It was like, you know, a splash page with the two ships in hyperspace kind of maneuvering there. And it, and it looks really cool. Yeah, where, um, real cool. Oh, where is it here? I think this is where we get the, uh, yeah, this is where we get the second part where um, the second princess line, because she's yeah. she says to him about how you got to make it look convincing. And he's like, just power up those shields. I'll put on a show, princess. Yeah, and then... So this is the third time, and the, the the other layer here is almost now they're showing concern for one another. And, that, yeah, and I know it's the relationship is evolving quickly, but it's evolving into something. I think maybe like, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of something there because just uh, maybe it's just wishful thinking. It would be neat, but the way he, you know, you be careful in there, and she's yeah, like, watch those watch those deck cannons, and and so that's more than just like I took me, it to be you know, barbs, yeah. like little barbs at each other, but uh, maybe yeah, maybe. Maybe it is the other one. Her princess, and we have a we have a. Yeah, but you know, (laughs) so let's let's be real about it though. How many times have you, as a as an insult, you know, referred to somebody on your work crew, okay, princess, because they've got a splinter, you know, like (laughs) when you call so okay, muffin, you know, it's It's the same thing, right? True. True. So hit it with your purse, Dorothy. Say that a lot. (laughs) That's right. Oh, that's hilarious. Bo-Katan reasserts how Gideon is hers, and Kara objects this time by saying that he's ex-ISB. So she thinks that Bo-Katan's out to kill him, um, but he's ex-ISB and he's more valuable alive, to which Bo-Katan replies, I don't care as long as, you know, he surrenders to me. So dropping out of hyperspace, they do put on a convincing dogfight in which Gideon orders the launch of uh, the TIE squadron on board. We get Bo-Katan basically making uh, a point because they get two ships like they get two ships off uh, before they can get to the mouth of the, uh, the hangar. And, and she's like the one Battlestar Galactica. Stuff. I know right down the middle of the treat for, for, for Katie Sackhoff. Yeah. Maybe. It's fan- It was, a, it's a really nice shot and it really invokes Battlestar. So that's one of the, that's one of the beats I was talking about where, where Peyton Reed is using some sort of other sci-fi tropes and, and weaving them into Star Wars. And that one works really well. It does. But I mean, like, we can go back to the 79 and like <laughs> Universal really, they got litigated by Lucasfilm over the yes. sim- the similarities to Star Wars in which they yes. lost. So yeah, full circle moment. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it, it, ripping someone off is different than an homage, I feel. I didn't find about, to be honest, I, did I didn't not. find that either. But if, if, if that was your mentality, then I, you know what I mean? I yeah. feel like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Imitation is the highest form of. Flag. Yeah. Yeah. So Bo-Katan being who she is, cool little moment too. She puts the Lambda in the flight path of the ties. One, to yeah. run, to run cover for Boba. And two, I think to mess up the launch sequence for the remaining fighters. Yeah. That's right, because they're about to launch an entire squadron. Yeah. At which point, comms officer, played again by Katie O'Brien. For the last time. What are you doing? Clear the tube. Yeah, and then she basically says, you know, denied, denied. Like, don't come in. Wait for the squadron to launch. And she's like, nope, we're under attack. We're coming in hot. So 
there's this cool moment where, you know, it, the chase kind of takes a bit of a turn and, and as, as Bo-Katan wheels up on the front of the, the cruiser, he pulls away. She starts to fold up the wings. And as he passes over top of the cruiser, he manages to avoid a couple of uh, cannon shots. But this awesome, like, barrel roll as the chin guns rotate backwards and he takes out both ties from, oh, yeah, behind him. And then, and then leaps into hyperspace. Yeah, all one super, move super cool. Like. Yeah, like, highly complex maneuver while engaging, while trying to plot a hyperspace jump. Like, it just speaks to the level of skill of, the, of this guy, right? That's the Boba Fett we've always wanted, man. Right. And then we cut back to the the Lambda, which makes a, uh, I almost thought it was a belly up, but they did. it looks like they it did. Skids in. They got the two landing gear. They did get the landing gear down because it gave them enough clearance to drop the boarding ramp, but they skid into the, uh, into the uh, hangar. And once they, uh, you know, hey, get there's that a out of here, clear this there's a, there's a look out. And it's the same lookout from the trench scene when the Falcon swoops in on Vader and his wingmen. Yes, it is, it's isn't exact, it? I, I went back and I checked and played them back to back several times. It's yeah. the same sound. Yeah. Side note here. Go ahead. Uh, I read something to the effect that there was fan speculation that Katie O'Brien's character was actually going to be Sabine Wren undercover. Oh, really? And that that was why she was keep, you know, getting repetitive roles. Oh. But maybe it'll pan out later. Maybe it won't. Cause we never do see her die on screen. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm going to have to go back and watch it, but I was fairly certain that she bought it. Yeah. What else is she in? What do we know her from outside of the Mandalorian? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Andy's going to look it up. I'll keep pushing okay. forward here. Yeah, definitely. So back in the hangar, we get this moment where the deck officer and the stormtroopers, what are you doing? They're trying to clear the place out. The, uh, you get that steam, like the, very Star Warsy, like when the Emperor shuttle arrives and the yeah, yeah. and through the fog, it's a hail of blaster fire as the as the Spice Girls pour out and start cleaning up. Fantastic, Mando's angels. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Katie O'Brien has been in Westworld, okay. uh, Agents of Shield, Magnum oh, okay. PI, the new Magnum, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and Black Lightning, as oh. well as Z Nation. Oh, wow. She's in quite a bit then, mm-hmm. quite a bit of action. Yeah, well, who knows? She seems a bit young for maybe what Sabine would be at this point. I think so. Who knows? But apparently she's also a martial artist, so she's got that going oh, for her. Oh, good for her. I thought it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas at first. <laughs> who was the comms officer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my no, I'm Lord. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's funny. Watching from the bridge, Gideon orders the activation of the dark troopers, and then we we switch down to the to that room that they're in and the, the, they basically have this warm up sequence, I guess. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the activation cycle begins to beat rhythmically like this industrial music kind of thing. And it may actually be music, but to yeah, me, it just sounded yeah. like this, this repetitive rhythmic kind of thing as they were kind of waking up, but it's good because it serves as this, like it serves to build the tension reinforces oh, really that they good. do have to power up. Yeah. They power yeah. Down. Yeah. Like it, it basically, it's the, you have a limited amount of time to do what you got to do. And this is the countdown, right? Yeah. Back in the hangar, Mando departs the shuttle with the Beskar spear on his back because we knew that was going to happen. Meanwhile, the Spice Girls are battling stormtroopers on their way to the bridge. They come across a catwalk, which is over top of essentially a, uh, 
I guess it would have been, I, I don't know if this is a purpose-built like deployment zone for the Dark Troopers because it's just ray-shielded into space. But they get... That, that's an odd choice that there's it no is. way to rent them into space, but maybe it's even a security measure. But it's probably so that they can just deploy. That's kind of what I thought, where they yeah, could just walk out, most- jump off, and they're they're out. So they get bumped by stormtroopers, and one guy falls off the uh, the hey once again catwalk with no railings, and mm. uh, literally falls into space. <laughs> railings save lives. At the same time, Casca and Bo they jetpack off the side, and uh, what happens is they they get bumped from behind by like another squad, like six stormtroopers. And there's this cool scene with Bowen and Casca. Uh, they jetpack up and basically take out all six guys while they're on their jetpacks. It's a mirror of Clone Wars when Anakin's standing on that one bridge and the whole frigging uh, droid army on the other side facing off against him. And and uh, Raxon and the rest of the 501st are on jetpacks under the bridge. Oh, that's and right. They flank, they flank them and then they, yes, it felt like that a lot for me, actually. Yeah. We get a flashback to the dark troopers and we see that the the uh, little gauge there the the warm up sequence yeah mm-hmm. the the meter is getting more to the top that it's about to be uh, to be done and the orbesh there is pretty simple it's just DT10 and DT20 yeah so yep. dark trooper and then the the number yeah we see at this point that the uh, the tubes which we can safely say now were whatever cooling agent they were using they start to detach and the dark troopers step out from their alcoves, step into a formation, and they all draw blasters. Meanwhile... Blasters from the uh, art that we didn't see before. Yeah, that's right. Using the hip holsters like RoboCop. I was going to say the hard points like uh, First Order Stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a holster anymore. It's just a hard point right on their leg. Were they actually concealed in the leg? I thought it was fairly, you know... I know it was, it was it was low there. low on the thigh, but I didn't know if they mm. were actually concealed or just hard pointed right to it, like a like I'll mounting watch a it a fifth time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Mando secretly uh, uh, trying to make his way pauses and uh, for a Death Star droid. So good, finally on an Imperial base and not in a junk pile. Yes, the RA seven protocol droid used almost exclusively by the empire as spies. So I got an Obi-Wan on the Death Star vibe in these scenes too as he's sort of sneaking around. Yeah, skulking around yeah. trying to get yeah, to where yeah. he's got to go. Yeah. Meanwhile, back with the Spice Girls, Kara uh has a gun jam and uh decides, "Oh well, to hell with it," and starts clubbing troopers with it anyway. So good. It is, yeah. Flashback to the dark troopers who march up to the door and as it opens, Mando is like, "No, no, no, no." Dashes over to the, the control panel, jams the code cylinder in to try and shut the doors, but one of the dark troopers is able to get his hands on it uh, and starts prying open the doors. So there's this interesting scene. I found it interesting. You get that close-up of the, the hands that are prying the door open, and you're, you're sort of staring at the, the red eyes. And you can see between the, the actual shots fired and then the, the reflection off the dark trooper in that sequence, Mando puts like 16 rounds into the dark trooper with no effect. No effect. Zero. The doors fly open and the the lead uh, dark trooper punches Mando across the hallway, allowing the trooper to get out and then the doors slam shut behind him. Mando, meanwhile, continues to shoot. The round count is now 21 rounds with no effect. No effect. 
Inside the bay, the two lead dark troopers begin punching their way out, uh, cracking the glass in the doors as they go. So for me, there's just a little nod to there's got to be some hive mind because there's zero communication, audible communication between the droids. Yeah. So they, they all step into formation at once. They all they all react at once. So for me, that's a little hive mind programming. They Very notice, drone. Punching the doors in unison. Yes. Yeah. You know. Well, um, we're going to see that again, too. Like when the, you know, they have a clear objective and suddenly everything stops. And again, there's no visual, you know, or audible communication uh, cues. So, so again, I must be saying, okay, threat over here. Yeah. Deal with this threat. Yeah, exactly. There's this cool moment here where uh, I, I call this my Hulkbuster moment where mm. Mando is taken, literally taking a beating from that, from the dark trooper who's just repeatedly smashing him in the face. And the Beskar is holding up like pristinely not taking a single ounce of damage scratch. and plus the 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 uh the plexi in there is must be best guard too i <laughs> yeah. guess it didn't shatter the glass for me this was the second time peyton reed reached into other sci-fi and gave us a little trope that was awesome and this is straight out of terminator straight out of terminator when the t-1000 is punching arnold schwarzenegger's head into the oh. wall and it's yeah, for me it was it's great. Yeah. And I went the other way with it. I took it right out of uh, right out of um, Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron, where Tony and the Hulkbuster is punching Hulk. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, and every yeah, time yeah. he wails on the Hulk, he's sinking further into the pavement. Yeah. Right as the bulkhead is giving away. Similar moments. Interesting how we pulled two references out of that that essentially say the same thing. Yeah, identical. Yeah, it's fantastic. Although now when you say Terminator, I, I actually, I'm more inclined to, to side with you on that one. I think that's the mechanical a better... nature of the punches yeah. for me. Yeah. The head, you know, into a wall, it was all, everything was steel and shiny. I really got Terminator vibes off. Right. Especially the way that those, the dark troopers actually move is very reminiscent of the, uh, the chassis of the. It the is. Yeah. But we... at the same time, they're establishing again, how like the strength of Beskar. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. establishing oh, the strength man. of the dark trooper. Yeah, like yeah. packing a punch. So, I mean, and even if you're wearing like the, the the trauma that's going on, we talked about this before, where he just bangs his head on the cockpit and goes unconscious. That's going on inside that helmet well, has got to be tremendous. I thought back to season one when he got his bell rang and like how he was, for all intents and purposes, he was gonna die. Yeah, he was bleeding and crazy madness under the helmet and. Well, we'll talk about that later, but he looks pretty good right now. I mean, well, if at I, the same time, though, there's no there's no bounce back because his head is pinned against the wall. Yeah, there's no. So, oh, that's true. That's true. true. So they're absorbing it all. Okay. The first we blow, the first blow, I think for sure. Yes. Everything after that, I will. Your theory holds up. <laughs> just, yeah, just comfy punching. The next sequence is this like desperation moment where Mando pulls out all the tricks. He flamethrowers the the chest cavity to no avail. Provides uh, a great visual, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think now. he sets the oxygen on fire. There, is what <laughs> yeah. And then is does it, does like, a dark trooper not look even more like evil. terrifying at that point when it's on fire? Oh yeah. Gets thrown across the hallway, lets off his vo- uh, volley of whistling birds, and I mean it staggers for a second, but it just like you say, like a Terminator, it just keeps coming. And I think that it takes them off balance enough for him to do the next maneuver, which is the Beskar spear. Which is awesome. Like, if he didn't get tossed down the hallway and basically slid most of the way, 
there's a good chance, you know, it might have been the end of days for him. But as you say, he gets to the Beskar spear, drives it in through the head, and then rends the head right off the body, taking it out. So So good. Very, very good. The girls by now, they've gotten on an elevator, and Kara continues to clear the jam in her gun. And then she swears twice. We get a new swear. We get the first one. Was we get a dank ferric. Son of a mud scuffer. Yeah. Uh, have we heard mud scuffer? We've, we've heard, heard mud scuffer, but mud not scuffer. in that context. Because, uh, Bill, Bill Burr says uh, the poor mud scuffers that died in those right. wars. So, That's right. And she uses it. You know, he uses it as poor people and she uses it as son of a mud scuffer. So it's, there's a negative sort of a lower class connotation. Well, it's interesting. And they're both, they both have that same connotation. Like it's both, they're both sort of, you know, son of a bitch kind of. Yeah, exactly. You know, like those... one of my favorite ones that they haven't used is uh, a Moof Milker. Moof Milker, in, in, yeah. In Force Awakens. I use Moof Milker a lot, actually. <laughs> the elevator opens up, and the girls bust out. And now that she's got her gun fixed, she flips it back into auto, and it's a light repeating blaster action as she basically does a whole deck sweep and clears the deck of almost everybody. So on the bridge. And I'm pretty sure that uh, communications officer, I'm pretty sure she was in like the one of the lead, like she got up and made a run for it and did not make it. Fair enough. At this point, who is it? Is it Fennec? Rushing the bridge, clearing it of enemies and then deactivating the ship's weapon systems, the the cannons up on the hull. I think you're right. And, and, And just because you need to get on the elevator to get out of the bridge. And so nobody got off the elevator and there was nobody left in the room, but but Gideon and the, the rest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think, I think you're right about her being dead. I think she is. And Bo-Katan, like, where's Gideon? She's, uh, you know, expects to find, and, and of course she'd go to the bridge. You'd expect to find him there commanding his ship Absolutely. from the bridge. Where's Gideon? And then we flash back to Mando, who is now just outside the brig. There's two stormtrooper guards there, and, you know, silently and effectively with the spear, Ugh! takes one out with a poke to the gut and then chokes the other one out breaks uh, his neck. breaking the neck yeah oh yeah entering the cell we see Moff Gideon standing over Grogu with the dark saber held over his head and as soon as they said where's Gideon I was like oh no yeah i mean you kind of knew if he wasn't on the bridge of course but it's course. consistent though right because in that other episode where uh, Grogu is pitching like he's ragdolling those stormtroopers Gideon's watching. He's getting off on watching it. Yep. Of course he's going to be there. And, you know, a characteristic of him from his season one appearance where he he calls out everybody by name. Oh, yes, I know everything about you. You know, they almost paint him with this Thrawn like sensibility in his in his ability to uh, to to plan his strategy and tactics. Yeah, he says, just assume I know everything. He right, literally yeah. says, assume I know everything. <laughs> Which he reinforces later. Mm-hmm. Oh, he does. And he said, actually, right here in this scene, he actually says it, uh, including like you just fired off your only volley of, of um, yeah. from your bracer. Here come the rest of the dark troopers, and you had trouble with just one. So he, 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 like, he, he watched was, it. Yeah. He, he exactly. That's what, how I feel. Like he, he watched it or was definitely have the information pumped, piped to his uh, armor. Somehow. Yeah. 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 So there's some exposition about uh, Gideon, what he knows about the Darksaber and uh, that it's its power and that it, it is uh, what legitimizes the claim to the Mandalorian throne. Hmm. 
And uh, Mando's like, I don't care. You can keep it. I just want the kid. <laughs> you know, like he's yeah. like, that's all yeah. he wants. And uh, Gideon being who he is, he's like, all right. But not before he's he goes on about how it's fine. I've already got what I need from the child. You know, he's very gifted. And, uh, oh, he talks about how I can see the bond between the two of you. And he's like, you need to know that this kid's gifted and he possesses rare properties that potentially bring order back to the galaxy. Yeah, he's referencing Palpatine right there. The order that yeah. can be brought yeah. back is Palpatine. Yeah, Fantastic. you know, the double entendre, you know, order, you know, could very much be the first order or even the final order. That's right. <laughs> But he plays it off like, yeah, okay, you can take him. Yeah. So but just you got to leave right now. Right. And that's the condition. You leave my ship and we never, you know, we, we part ways. Mando's almost too emotional about it too, because he just drops his guard and goes, okay. He totally sure does. Yeah. I'll, I'll take you at your word, which is ridiculous. Yep. Mando reaches yep. for Grogu uh, as Gideon uh, sort of sashays around him. And then it's the double cross as he, you know, strikes him in the back with the dark saber. But... Beskar you know, to the rescue. we've got our, uh, our, yeah, our, our Beskar life jacket on and uh, is able to take a few hits. They stumble out into the hallway and we get that saber spear fight that we knew was coming. What did we think of that? So there's a, there's a couple of weird things there. Like when they, when the, they presses the dark saber right into the spear. Uh, yeah. It, it, it glows red heats. hot. Yeah. And when he does the same thing to one of his gauntlets, it doesn't do that. Suggesting yeah. maybe the spear's not pure, Beskar. Maybe a, a plot point for later. Maybe. I, I did appreciate the, I, I did appreciate the glowing haft, you know, like we'd seen it before when Qui-Gon Jinn plunged his lightsaber into the blast doors on the, uh, on the Trade right. Federation battleship. And I love right. that scene. I wanted to see that thing. I wanted to see that play out right to the end. Like how... How much will a lightsaber? How much? <laughs> How, exactly. Yeah. What are the limits? Will it actually melt the door off? So yeah. I, I appreciated that little moment. And then the combat was fantastic because he used spear techniques. He used it like a, you know, like a, it was awesome. The spins, the, the it was a great fight scene. The back, he's sort of, you know, staggered a bit and now he's only holding it with one hand. So yeah. he, he mule kicks it, bang, flips it around and turns it into a strike. Which visually yeah. is just, it was a very yummy uh, moment. But I thought that the fight was maybe just a little too short for my liking. Certainly it was I think effective. that they had to get to the point that, like, while Gideon is fairly proficient with the blade, he is not anywhere in the caliber. Oh, and yeah. I mean, his... The story his, beat is just to have him defeated. His Certainly light, we could have had a little bit more... Yeah. His lightsaber strikes seem almost uh like barn swinging kind of yes. like gross yes. gross motor movements as opposed to He's relying on it to cut through anything. I yeah. guess no so, dude. yeah. You know, like he he cuts through the the tether line which kind of brings in this is going to come up later when I talk about uh, sort of the dark saber and lineage and stuff like that. But keep that in mind for for later. Anyway, Mando goes on to uh, disarm him and then kind of does the spear point to the throat. And, and Gideon's like, oh, you're, gonna sp- you're sparing my life? Well, this should be interesting. Yeah, he's not shook at all. No, no. Like, he knows something that, that uh, Din does not. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. 
Check out collectorsplatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today. You're listening to Fandom Power. Cut to the uh, bridge of the cruiser, and there's this neat moment, another callback. There's Bo-Katan standing, arms folded behind her back, staring at the viewport, a la, you know, Tarkin, or any mm-hmm. any other number of Imperial officers that yeah, we've Vader seen does it once, yeah. staring at the viewports, right? Mando escorts Gideon onto the bridge. Bo-Katan turns around, and she's got this incredi- incredulous look on her face. What happened? Well, he's literally got the dark saber ignited and in his hand yeah. still. He's got it, like, he just he didn't even shut it off. He just walked down the hall with uh, Grogu in one arm and the lit uh, lit dark saber in the other. Yeah, comes in quite dramatically, actually. Right, and uh, and of course, Kara's like <laughs> Kara, not even thinking of the big picture. She's like, he brought him in alive. That's what happened. And now the New Republic is going to have to double the payment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. But Gideon counters back and he says, but that's not what she's talking about. And uh, you can just see that he's he's thoroughly enjoying the moment, you know, with the knowledge that he has. Right. Staring sort of, you know, you get you're you're interspersed with these like these little quick cuts to Bo-Katan and how the look on her face. Right. Where she's Mm -hmm. like the look of shock. Gideon says, why don't you kill him now and take it? <laughs> yeah. It belongs to you. Yeah. So here's where it all comes out in the wash. He's like, it belongs to you now. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah. He, again, now he, he explains it now for the benefit of everyone, including the viewers, that the dark saber right. is in fact, the seed, uh, the symbol of the seed of power on Mandalore. And now that it, it belongs to him, he's effectively, he's the leader. So he turns it off and he's like, well, now it belongs to her. But Gideon's like, oh, no, she can't take it. It has to be won in combat. And Bo-Katan just kind of dejectedly stares at kind of at her feet for a second like, oh, he's right. And he's like, I yield. Take it. Mando says, I yield. Yeah. And And uh, it doesn't work that way. So I got a problem with this. A lot of people have a problem with this. And I've got some... First, let's let's talk about the problems with it, and let's see if we can Sabine figure it out. Literally, hands Bo-Katan the dark saber and says, "Here." That's true. You're the ruler of Mandalore. That is and absolutely all of, true. All of, it unites all of the clans of Mandalore that we know about. Yep. At the time, under one under one banner, something something horrible has happened since. Right. But why the new rule? I unless don't... maybe maybe losing the dark saber means she has to win it back and come i i just i can't rationalize this new rule i don't think seen her gifted the dark saber before i don't think it's a new rule okay i'm gonna call it an exception and and you gotta follow me through the beats here because it goes all the way back so when we talk about the dark saber 
and the legitimacy of who wields it, we got to go back to Darth Maul. So Darth Maul is a legitimate wielder. He's a legitimate ruler of Mandalore because he killed Pre Vizsla. That's correct. And he took it from Pre Vizsla. So now the Darksaber stays in Maul's possession throughout the remainder of Clone Wars and it stays with him well into Rebels and it's not until after he's defeated that they discover the Darksaber in Maul's, in his belongings, in his possessions. And that's when it's given to Sabine. So it's given to Sabine under the, under the, if we follow the current rules about how it must be won in combat, Sabine is not the legitimate, is not a legitimate heir because it was just gifted to her as well. But because Sabine is our Mandalorian connection in that show, she has to be the one to take it back to the rest of her people. Right. It goes so far as when she goes to see her mother, when she holds the dark saber up and she talks to her mom, they have that scene out on the balcony of their, their cottage or whatever it is. And, and how did you get it? And she says, I got it from Maul's possessions. And her mother asks her specifically, you want it in combat? And Sabine says, no, she didn't. Yeah. But her mother does nothing to take it away from her. Nope. She just lets her continue to have it. So we know that Sabine is not a legitimate heir. And when she gave it to Bo-Katan, that means Bo-Katan was not a legitimate heir. But here's the big difference. At the end of, of the, that episode, uh, that arc, when, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Protector. Do you remember his name? Oh. The Mandalorian Protector? The blue yeah, guy. Jesus. I can't remember. Anyway, um, it's, it's not so... Who he is is not as important as what happens right. next. They, they leave and to go out at the end of the arc, Sabine basically is like, listen, I'm not the one, I'm not the one to lead us. And she turns to Bo-Katan and she says, but you are. And she tries to give it to her. And Bo-Katan is a little bit hesitant. And it's at that moment when the, the hatch opens and all the assembled clans are there. The first clan to talk, it's clan Vizsla. And they all say the same thing. Clan so-and-so supports you. Clan so-and-so yeah. supports you. That's right. So she's gotten the support of the assembled clans. And I think that's the only reason that she accepts it, that it is a break in tradition. It's a break in customs because as Sabine's mother pointed out, it does have to be one in combat. Lauren's argument was that it was, it was de facto one in combat when Bo-Katan led that right. revolution and, and she succeeded. Yeah. So it, I want to kind of, I want to bring it full circle and I want to close it up. Here's why she's so zealous to get it back from Gideon. She knows that she was an illegitimate heir to begin with. So because she is so hot and heavy to get to him, does that not say that Gideon legitimately won it? Yeah. And that's why she's so hot to get it back, which is why she's so shocked when they walk in the room and there's Mando he is now the first legitimate Mandalorian to, to hold the Darksaber since pre-Vizsla. Yeah, she's, she's duty-bound to follow him right now. That's right. Unless she challenges him to combat. It also explains, I, I mentioned a, a way back in a, a episodes ago that um, I found it curious that Gar Saxon returned the yeah. Darksaber to Maul in prison in this, the final season of Clone Wars, and right. now it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I really, I had to go back and watch those episodes because I'm like, I'm missing something here. 
because I didn't find it to be this big. I knew there was something there that I was missing, but I wasn't sure what it was. And when, when Sabine's mother was like, did you win it in combat? And she said, no. Yeah, that's a good catch. I'm like, okay, so it's a de facto position, but Mm -hmm. then she, but Bo-Katan really did lose it, presumably to Gideon. And now she needs to win it back. It was worth my joke though, of the mandatory in ritual combat. Yes. So, big standoff moment. He's got the saber. He's the leader of Mandalore. But then the whole thing is interrupted when there's an alarm going off on a console. And uh, we see several blips moving towards the cruiser. And they're like, Gideon. Uh, how many life forms? Yeah, none. none. <laughs> so Gideon, in his, you know, sadistic way, maybe she'll get another crack at it. And it's the and see, and for me, I would have just if I was Mando, I'd just toss him back the dark saber and let it happen. Well, see, I was talking with Kim <laughs> about this last night, and she's like, "Why didn't he do just that? Hand it back to uh, you know to Gideon and make him uh, fight her." But again, you know, I think the whole honor bound thing. I don't think that uh, either no, Bo-Katan wouldn't have allowed that. I don't Several think. times during the fight, I was just I was I was Palpatine, and I was like, "Kill him, kill him, <laughs> and, do it, uh, yeah. <laughs> do it." Uh, Hey, it's the previously vented dark troopers, and they've uh, they've flown home. The uh, the the crew, as it were, look on as the dark troopers begin to board the cruiser through several, a uh, couple different points of entry, scattering them across the whole breadth of the ship, which sets up our big action piece for the next uh, next portion of the show. And they watch all this through through monitors. Kara shoves Gideon to the deck where he spots a discarded blaster from one of his dead crewmen and he covers it with his cape. Clearly, he's waiting for the right moment to strike with it. Mando now places Grogu behind a console for safety, saying, don't worry, kid, I'm going to get you out of here. At this point, I thought something was wrong with Grogu. He did look he's a little... Got... Yeah, I thought he was sick or he had this... Yeah. Like he... You know that scene where Yoda is, uh, is dying? Yeah. He had that like weakness to him that we haven't seen before. eyes kind of closed yeah and uh but a successive watches i kind of think he was reaching out with the force yeah it's almost like uh you know was he uh this time on the receiving end of the phone call i think so (laughs) you know what i actually do think that yeah 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 so we cut back to the dark troopers we see a batch of them marching toward the bridge fennec uh you know in another legacy line seal the blast doors Mm -hmm. and she slams the controls and the doors uh swing shut Halting at the door, the two lead uh, dark troopers, they holster their blasters, and we get what I uh, we get this moment that I'm calling the Rock'em Sock'em robot moment as they yeah. start as they start rhythmically punching the doors. Still have that toy by the way. Yeah. Made by Mattel. Funny, I wonder if yeah, Has- wonder if Hasbro's got some issues with that Rock'em Sock'em moment. The doors we see uh, slowly and they slowly begin to buckle, right? Gideon regales at the notion that the troopers are going to break through and they will kill everyone in the room except for him and the child. And like the tension is really, really high because again, it's this, we've, we've sort of had these last stand moments before, but it's been singularly like Mando at his wits end with the mud horn, you know, like, okay, I'm resolved. I'm going to die, but we've never had the stakes this high for an entire group of people. No. They're all blasters at the ready, knowing blasters don't work. Exactly. But what else are you going to do? I mean, you... you, What else are you going to do? Gideon's like, you got a good fire team here, but... That's right. Yeah, and then they're lying about killing everybody in the room. Yeah. 
the proximity alarm that we heard with the dark troopers goes off again. And, uh, you get this sweet, sweet, sweet hero shot of a single X-wing passing, uh, passing by the bridge. And, uh, they say it's a, it's an X-wing and Bo-Katan goes to the, to the comms console and she, she tries to raise him, you know, identify yourself and it's complete silence. And Kara sarcastically, one X-wing. Oh, great. We're saved. Yeah. (laughs) I love that line. How sarcastic she is. I think I knew right away. Some part of me knew right away when it was a single X-wing. I did too. And then we get a close up through the monitor of the X-wing pulling into the bay, the hangar to the landing bay. And this is my only, seriously, this is my only criticism of the entire episode I think I brought it up yesterday when we were talking pre-show. You sent me a screenshot, yeah. Why is there no red five markings on that X-Wing? And I thought there were. I actually thought that there were. Did you? I looked up red five again just to make sure that I wasn't missing something. Cause I mean, it was. It's, it's certainly it's black and white, but it has that, that thin, thick L-shaped red right. thing on the wing. But the five hash the... marks behind it aren't there. Oh, well, yeah, maybe. Right. As I'm, st- I'm looking, I have a legacy... Uh, I have a Star Wars Legacy Edition uh, Wedges okay. X-Wing Red 2, and I'm, star- I'm staring at it right now, and, the, and it's clearly got the two red hash marks behind the L piece. I get you, I get you. But when you look, you. When you look up Luke's Red 5, the five red hash marks aren't there. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And yet, you know, it's there for Star Wars. Presumably it's there throughout Empire, even though we don't get a lot of uh, stuff with Luke's X-Wing. It's there in the Rise of Skywalker when Rey takes over... And, and fly. She even uses the call sign Red Five coming back to the uh, civilian fleet. So there's a weird gap in the continuity there because in the uh, in the handbook or the uh, yeah whatever it's called of the Last Jedi, Luke uses the wing of the X-wing as his door to his hut. Oh, interesting. And so they somehow she magically repairs that after yeah. lifting the X-wing. Must have been water. one of the lower wings. Cho- Chewie punches it and. <laughs> Bends it in half in the novel. Oh wow! Sends it flying into his, you know, so like this. So there, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think I, I think I made a joke with you guys yesterday about, uh, you know, yes. why wasn't it there? And Kim had said to me, "Well, it could have just been another X-wing that he was using." I'm like, it just doesn't make sense for that. And so I'm like, to rationalize, I'm like, yeah, Luke's X-wing was in the shop that day getting waterproofed. <laughs> That's perfect. But perhaps he's either he, he's either rogue leader or red leader now. Um, yeah. And they've just removed the fives or perhaps he's just removed the striping because this is just his personal same vehicle, different painting because he's no longer part of the regular rebel squadrons. It's entirely yeah. possible. I just thought, you know, it was, pl- I feel well, like spoilers, the, the real, <laughs> yeah, the real answer is played for, it's played for drama. Absolutely. 100%. But you can't tell me that's not red five. <laughs> it's definitely red five. Grogu, we cut to Grogu and he has this like moment where he starts to perk up, like almost like yeah. there's a recognition something's going on here. It's kind of like a plant coming back to life, you know? Yeah, very much. The so, rock. So there's your other sci-fi moment, the E.T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. At this point, the Rock'em Sock'em robots cease their barrage on the door and they draw blasters and then they turn around. Mm-hmm. Gideon, staring with a look of panic, is wondering what is going on at the turn of events. They must be linked to the ship's systems. I guess so. Fennec says, why did they stop? Watching from the security monitors, we see a dark cloaked figure cutting through the dark troopers, dark troopers with a lightsaber. 
And although it's through security monitors, as soon as I saw the, the, the hooded cloak flowing up the hallway, I mean, if the X-Wing wasn't enough, I'm at this point, I'm clutching the sides of my, my head as the tears are, I can feel my bottom lip quivering and I'm like, what, what? Yeah. It's I'm 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 exactly my hands are on the sides of my face. I'm standing up at this point and I'm I'm just sort of almost rocking back and forth. Interestingly enough, my friend that I've told you about with his young 10-year-old son that's yeah. really invested in this and it comes from it from a love of rebels. Yep. With his mind saw the green lightsaber and thought Ezra. Oh wow. Yeah, Ezra does finish with a green lightsaber, doesn't he? Yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah, his mind, he came at it, like, not being a legacy guy. Right. He came at it from an Ezra Bridger standpoint. His dad was like, no, it's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and that didn't have the impact for him. Wow. That it had for us, because he wanted his his legacy, his the, the guy he identifies with. Sure, he wanted his characters to be. That's right. Oh, that makes me kind of sad. Nice. Yeah, but, but what a nice... To have a ten-year-old that invested, as yeah. invested as we are, that's that's the hope. That's the whole point. Well, there the you whole, go. As you say, yeah. there's there's the hope. So that if and when, and I and I say, I more heavily lean into when we get some resolution to the Ezra Bridger storyline. I hope that the payoff is just as good for him as it was for us. Absolutely. But part of my French, Luke fucking Skywalker. Dude. Oh my god! Um, Dude, just like we we. The catharsis, the 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 fixing of the last Jedi, which wasn't yeah. broken, but we just needed we needed that. We needed something to we smooth. That. I'm just gonna read directly from my notes because I could not yeah. I could not encapsulate the beats of the fight, but I wrote a storm of force pushes and lightsaber mastery from the greatest living Jedi is more than enough to overcome the dark troopers. They're all I wrote I wrote that that uh, I don't even want to read what I write, say what I wrote, but the, they're ineffectual against him. I, they might as well just be stormtroopers. Yep. I mean, he's he's as much as he's deflecting their blaster shots, he's dodging too. He, <laughs> like he's, it's incredible. To watch there's him, a like, flurry like of faster. there's a flurry of motion there, and I say this, this whole and this entire sequence is this beautiful, like blend of the fencing style that we saw used in the original trilogy peppered with the modern lightsaber fighting that we became accustomed to in the prequels and now the sequels. And it's just so amazing to see Luke Skywalker, you know, at the height of his skills, Yes, you know, I, I wrote, this is the swashbuckling Luke that we saw on the barge in return of the Jedi. Yes, and, and like, yeah, and but, they mirrored that fighting style. Oh. It was so good, and 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 the and just to give the tension, they, the, he never drops the cloak. They, like, no. there's still a question, and even though it's not re- a real question, uh, the, the focusing on the gloved hand with the lightsaber in it, the and the the power, like he he's crushes the one, like he's yeah. a master now, crushes it. And then in the hallway, the inverse scene from Rogue One where Vader faces off against the rebel troops, it's even, they're even moving in imposed directions. And it's the, the red, yep. the whole scene is red. This one's all kind of green, 
wow, it was so powerful. Even to and the then, point where, you know, Luke draws one of them in the way Vader did, one of the troopers. Yeah. Cuts them in half. Uh, so good. The best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yep. Uh, hands down. The So I'm just going to have my little fanboy moment here and say that this is the best piece of Star Wars since Rogue One, and it may be the best piece of Star Wars ever. Ever. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in a visual uh, medium. Yes. I, I want to take a second. I want to talk about Mark Hamill as a human being, as a person, in terms of Mark Hamill's attachment to Luke Skywalker. And I'm just trying to put myself in the, in his position. Like, imagine you as Mark Hamill getting approached by presumably John Favreau and Dave Filoni together asking, you know, would you come back? Knowing how, uh, and Mark Hamill's been very, very public about the way that his, the way that Luke Skywalker was characterized in the sequels to the point where he said, you know, like quite literally script in hand went to Ryan Johnson and said, Luke wouldn't do this. This isn't the character. And then he says, but I'm an actor. So I shut up and I did my job. Is this not a vindication for him as an actor and for the character? Absolutely. He trolled us all too. Cause he, after rise of Skywalker, he said, I'm done with the character. Yeah, I'm absolutely done with the character. I'm done with the movies and done with the character. I'm going to move on. I love you all, and I still love the character, and I'll still interact with you guys on Twitter, and we'll talk about being fans of it. Yeah, but I'm done with the character, and biggest troll of all. <laughs> Is it though? Like I have to imagine what did the, there had to be a meeting, maybe maybe yes. several meetings, but I have to imagine to be a fly on the wall during that meeting when you're laying out to Mark fucking Hamill. Listen, I'm writing a little part for you, and it's Luke Skywalker. Oh, really? Again, really? After everything I went through? No, no, Mark. It's different. Oh, I've heard that before. No, no, Mark. It's really, really different. Like I imagine it was just, yeah. I mean, it's what he wanted. It's what we all wanted. I think if I I don't find, and it it was a little bit. It's not that it, Mark Hamill had problems, like, and he certainly did, but I didn't have the problems that everybody had with that because, to me, the character of Luke Skywalker reacted exactly like all the characters that mentored him. Yoda yeah. faces defeat and goes into exile to bide his time to see what's next. Yeah, Obi-Wan faces defeat and he goes into exile to bide his time to see what's next, and so does Luke, although Luke does it in a more final way. Yeah, he, the big difference is... And I think this is the key to that that whole thing. You're right. They all go into exile, but only one of those characters cut themselves off from the Force. Yeah, that's that's a little extreme. So how do you rationalize that? You know that that's a that's a major departure from the other two characters who, like you say, into exile to see what happens next. But they they remain connected. I mean that the. Yeah, they just they remain connected to the force, and that's the big distinction between the three of them. And and I this think this gives that's, me back all the legend stuff too. Yeah, it, just it does. Lets me, it lets me feel like that that twenty year period of Luke Skywalker at the height of his power, traveling the galaxy, trying to build a Jedi temple. Uh, I I said yesterday, I, after I watched the episode, I sent uh, I uh, I went to our our Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. to the show's Twitter. And I tweeted Mark Hamill directly to to say, you know, like, I'm so, we collectively as the show here, we're so happy, you know, about uh, the way that you came back to Star Wars. And I, I use the words, a Jedi like his father before him. Oh, man. You know, 
And yeah. uh, remember, <laughs> yeah. remember we were talking about way, way back on the big Star Wars episode when we first started doing Phantom Power and I and I kind of made the joke. And this is the, this is kind of the running joke. It's like everybody says they love Empire, mm-hmm. but they really do love Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. And I that's all I could think about in this moment is like, you know what? Everybody really does love Return of the Jedi. It's yeah, well, it's very true. It's very true. I could go on for hours about this whole sequence, but for the sake of the show, let's keep moving forward. Yeah. Gideon seeing things unfold on the monitor desperately makes his uh, play desperately shoots at Bo-Katan. She's so, you know, phased by what's going on that she doesn't even, doesn't even attempt to defend herself or doesn't see it coming. And she just takes the peppering in the chest thinking that, you know, and she goes down, she actually drops uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I thought he might have got her. So did I. And then yeah. he turns his attention to Grogu and lets loose a, a burst at Grogu. Uh, Mando dives in front of him, taking the blast in the chest, which gave me a scare moment. Me too, because like, I'm thinking, he is he it? gonna is he gonna roll over and there's gonna be a smoking hole in in Grogu, which I yeah. half expected. Because I remember we were talking about how the fight was going to, like, we <laughs> part of our predictions on the show, at least on some level, were true. That there was going to be a crew, there was going to be a rescue, things were going to go bad, and the Jedi would show up to turn the tide of battle. That's right. Not realizing that the Jedi was going to turn up and actually be the battle. <laughs> but still, with everyone's attention now squarely on, on, uh, on him... Gideon attempts to take his own life uh, by pointing the blaster underneath his chin, but before he can pull the trigger, Kara knocks him out. Mm -hmm. Luke, now just outside the bridge, faces off against the final squad of dark troopers, and the scene, as you say, plays out just like the one from Rogue One in which Vader kills the rebel troopers trying to escape with the Death Star plans. Oh, there's still that tension that comes like with the elevator. Oh, I know the, uh, the the lights. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the lights, like the, the... like in progress, in progress, and then the final bing, bing, the door opens and he comes out a a flurry of motion. Luke finally he crushes the last droid, much like Vader crushed his surgical droid after cybernetic surgery. Picking up Grogu, Mando orders that they open the doors, and uh, I think it's Fennec. She's like, "Are you crazy?" And he's like, "Open the doors," and the doors open, and again the uh, it's like the the foggy. As we see the the green blade penetrate the fog and the figure walks in, the lightsaber is shut off and he drops the hood and he takes up the same position, same hand posture as he did in the Emperor's throne room and just looks at him like, no, I'm a Jedi like my father. Oh, man. This this whole moment of, are you a Jedi? And he's like, yeah, Uh, come little one. And he's like, I doesn't want he doesn't want to go with you, uh, but there's this uh, there's an exposition piece about talent is nothing without training, and That's I right. will I will give my life to protect the child. He doesn't want to go with you. Uh, safe. That's right. And Luke says he wants your permission. Mm-hmm. And we have this whole moment about you know Mando saying that it's okay. I'll see you again. I I promise. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finally get the payoff that we've been we've been waiting for the whole season if luke skywalker wasn't a big enough payoff we get the payoff from mando where in a room full of strangers he pulls his helmet off in full view of everybody and there's this this moment of um 
my God, it's this father-son moment. And I equate this to Luke and, and, and Anakin at the end of Jedi where it's like Mando lifts his helmet off to look at Grogu with his own eyes. For me, it doesn't even violate the rule there because there is nobody else in that room but him and Grogu. Emotionally, no, there isn't. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. And Grogu yeah. in, a, in a touching it, it way. It makes me well up right now. Oh, yeah. And the 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 whole has that tender moment, you know, like touching his face, like it's a, face. I lost. a hello and a goodbye all at the same time. Like it was just so well done, man. All right, pal, it's time to go. Don't be afraid. Uh, and he puts him down on the deck. Grogu still holding on to Mando's pant leg. Doesn't want to go. And then very much like the scene where Anakin says goodbye to Shmi. Don't yeah. Yeah. So something interesting happens at this point and uh because it, the tone it it shifts from this this you know a heart-wrenching, you know, you're tearing me away from my dad and my dad doesn't want me to go, but he he does want me to go, but not and it, it, the whole thing is broken when R2D2 rolls into the room and you know does a, a couple of whistle beep clicks and and we as fans are like oh great r2 still with him and hanging around but that i mean this was really big so actually. something yeah me too uh, this is a huge I, moment for me this is a huge moment for me because r2 says something to him and he understands him. you can't tell me that he didn't uh, and for me this is this is grogu yeah knowing r2 from the jedi temple because he was anakin's droid and he of was course. always at the temple yeah and for me this is this is Grogu finding an old friend and 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 R two reassuring him that everything is it's going to okay. be okay. Come with us. It's and okay. I want to take it a step wow. further. I agree that there is this moment of recognition and and there's a visual precedent for it too because when R two pulls up his third leg, his center uh, leg, and he has that little little shaky waddle, it's the same reaction that he had at the site of C-3PO on the dais in the medal ceremony yeah. on Yavin. Like yes. it's the first time he'd seen 3PO since he'd been put back together. And he's yes. happy to see his friend. Yes. So contextually, does that suggest that R2-D2 saved Grogu from Order 66? That's amazing. Maybe. That's amazing, bro. So not only is he a friend, but I mean, he's quite literally, and I, I was saying to Andy sort of pre-show, this is like the, you know, like you say, R2 was in the service of Anakin Skywalker for a while. And R2, while not directly, you know, witness to, is aware of the atrocities that Anakin committed. Because he, he explains them all. He's present for the duel. He's well, that's it. the final duel. Right. So he knows. There, he knows that Anakin falls. Right. So was that R2's, because R2's left at the temple when Anakin hops off into the, the airspeeder to go off to, to go back to the temple to, uh, to kill the younglings. Does R2 somehow, you know, get there and is able to get at least one kid out? It's, it's entirely possible. He's small enough to fit inside R2 somewhere. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it's for me, it's very much like when Obi-Wan meets R2 and says, and I always felt this, and even though people have argued with me, Hello there, says, my little friend. There, 
and he, my little come here, my little friend. Yeah. And he tells Luke, I don't seem to remember owning a droid, but he clearly knows who R2 is there. Yeah. And they they have a moment. Yeah. And for me, this is a full circle moment when R2 has the same moment. Yeah. It is literally R2's hello there. Oh come yeah. Here, yeah, yeah. Friend, don't be afraid. That's and right. The bookends for me are just wow. Wow. So let's, yeah, you want to talk about a bookend. Luke picks up Grogu and he, he gives them the, the, the may the force be with you line, which is completely beautiful. You know, it's so, it means so much coming from him. Right. Mm. And everybody's just kind of staring at him. They walk down the hallway and there's this moment where they board the elevator and Luke turns around and everybody is now facing each other as we're waiting for them to depart in the elevator. And I couldn't help but think that, oh my God, this is an allegory to the scene on Dagobah where Yoda, Luke, and Artu are sitting there on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle moment. I can almost hear the words, uh, the student becomes the master. You know, and if we look at it through that lens, you have this character in Grogu who, by the time we meet him, already has a rudimentary understanding of the Force, much the same way that Luke did after spending some time with Obi-Wan. And now, you know, whereas Luke went off to find Yoda, the Jedi Master, to train him, here we have, and I, I, I don't want to say it because I think it's cheesy, but I'm going to for the sake of punctuating my point. I know exactly where you're going. Here yeah. we have Luke who's come to find and who sought out baby Yoda yep. to train him. Yes. And it's no, this it's full circle moment. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, cut to black. That's the I end gotta, of the episode. I gotta, I gotta think is, is this the catalyst for him starting the Jedi temple? I don't is know. Is this his first student? We're, we're five years after we are. Yeah. That's right. Or ostensibly he was still fighting with the rebellion up to the battle of Jakku. So we're four years from the battle of Jakku. Yeah. Ben Solo was four years old. Yep. Man, there's so many questions. Does Grogu, Ben Solo kill Grogu? I hope not. Uh, what the hell are we going to do with a, with a season of the Mandalorian without Grogu? Yeah. <laughs> like I thought on that Wolf one thing really over. I don't think it's over, but I think it's going to, the road has parted for a little bit, but if you remember back to the synopsis for a droid story, it says a new hero will be guided by R2-D2 and C-3PO. What if Grogu oh, is that new hero? <laughs> oh, my and Lord. And R2-D2 is wow. like, yeah, come on, we'll go, and we can go hang out, and you can get trained. And Interesting. Wow. And yeah. while still aiming it at that younger audience. Aiming lower. Grogu is the perfect candidate for that. That's interesting. I never thought that. I would watch a Luke Skywalker Grogu R2 show. <laughs> you know, and that would be a great way to do it. I mean, uh, animated gives you the, all the freedom of, uh, you know, of feature quality uh, visuals without uh, feature budget. So, And Mark right. Hamill can voice Absolutely. that to the end of time, yep. right? So. That's right. So something is afoot in this episode because, uh, you know, besides, any more, is there any more we want to talk about Luke slash what's ha- what we just saw before we move on to the next bit? It's the catharsis I didn't know I needed. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, and they're amazing. The writing, uh, you go from euphoria to heartbreak to hope in like four minutes. Yeah. And 
it's almost more than, than, than my heart can take. And it's, it's for the people that are really invested in it, like us, I'm hearing this. I read, I read mass media articles about how the end of the episode broke star Wars fans. And it lets me know that they're like, um, they're right on the money. The the writing is right on the finger of oh, what we of what we need it's and what through we the, want. It's through the roof. Good. It's through the roof. Good. It's honestly, like, yeah. I, I keep saying it, but it's the best thing I've ever seen. Earlier this week, on an unrelated note, talking about the um, uh, about what's going on, a, a guy that I don't know, just a random internet commenter, that responded to one of my comments saying about how you know star wars is dead and that they killed it and i'm like well with the 10 projects that were just announced star wars is far from dead and if it's if the writing is any good as it is on the mandalorian it's got a very bright future Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i think it's important i i don't think i mentioned it but i think it's important to go back for a second and just and just talk about the uh the reveal of din jaren's face and how he is He's welled up, but he's holding it back until they depart the room. And, and on that final look back, and he gives him that like little head nod, nod. he's he's openly crying now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, you know? Great acting. Oh, my Fantastic God. Fantastic actor. Um, yeah. There's an old uh, filmmaker's trope, and it's uh, a way to immediately um, – and this is – I've read this in, in, in the sort of like filmmaking – textbooks and things if you want to guarantee that you can make a female audience member cry yep you show a female not able to cry oh really on screen and that therefore the natural response will be from the female audience viewer <laughs> to cry for her oh i was gonna and, say and to, to give to to let the emotion free and the other the other end i've always read was if you want to make a male audience member cry kill yeah. a dog kill a dog yeah but what they've done is they've done that 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 they removed the gender from it, which is fantastic yeah. because we're all human beings. And why we cried there was yeah. because he couldn't. Yeah, I guess so. eh? and so we, our release was his release. It's the uh, the Subotai, the Subotai moment in Conan when uh, Valeria is on the funeral pyre and the the wizard says to Subotai, "Why are you crying?" And Subotai says. Because he is Conan, he will not cry. I will cry for him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There you go. So something is afoot in this episode as we cut away to our uh, credit sequence and that there's no credit artwork in this episode. And that threw me for a loop because not only am I now trying to fight through my own tears and make some semblance of what the hell did I just see, I'm like, what's going on? And uh, We talked just before the episode about how so many people were full yeah of emotion and stopped it right there and as as my finger was over the button on my laptop to stop it yeah you know there's that bar of uh and so i i I slid my finger over to see if there was going to be any and i saw an image yep and i just stopped and i let it play i didn't i just kind of i was sitting there kim had by this time had come upstairs and and uh, we were talking a bit as the credits were rolling and i thought it was really strange because Usually the the screen will shrink down and go up to the corner, like yeah, and, and it, it didn't do that. Tries to send you off to whatever show it recommends right. next, and it and it didn't do that. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Something's going on. So I just sat back and I let it play, and I'm like, what? And we get our first ever Star Wars post credit sequence. 
Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, oh, scene, scene opens up and we get an exterior shot of the Bomar Monastery, also known as Jabba's Palace. Under the Twin Suns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get a scene, interior shot of the staircase, and uh scene plays out a lot like uh, when Luke entered the uh, the palace back in Jedi. Yeah, with the very, the shadows playing running. out on the wall, the guards running over and and getting shot, but it's not. It's uh, it's Fennec Shand, and she blasts <laughs> blasts a Gamorrean guard. She comes into the room, basically clears the entire room of of all the goons, and we see sitting there on Jabba's original dais. On top of that, there's a throne, and what do we see? But a very very uh, older, big, heavier, slovenly, <laughs> yeah, Bib Fortuna taking a cue from Jabba and just I, his way. To I, I was gonna Jabba. say that, like the the nod, the callback to Jabba that he's this like slovenly, this slovenly thing, and more slug like guards. Yeah, uh, weak way guards. Yep. I was actually gonna point out. We got another toy reference here. Bib is yes. holding his Kenner action figure staff. He is. And on the dais, the little skulls are there. They are. Slaves are attached to from the toy, from the Kenner. That's toy. right. Yeah. On the, Andy pulled this out. I didn't realize it, but on the throne itself, there's, there's heads on the arm rests. They're, yep. they're miniature rancor, rancor heads. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. There is some hutties on the back of the chair that I never got to yet, but I promise I will. Okay, for, cool. For our own. Yeah, for our own purposes. Our own and enjoyment. Yeah. As far as legacy, another Twi'lek slave. He, oh, yeah, that's right. Who Fennec uh, frees. Yes. So she blasts everyone in the room except for Bib Fortuna, and then Boba makes his way into the room. There's an exposition piece about, uh, oh, Boba. I, my uh, friend. My friend. I thought, I thought you were dead. And uh, without saying a word, Boba just kind of strides over, points his carbine, and and just puts one through his chest. Like there's no, uh, you know, no acknowledgement of you know, like what did, <laughs> what <laughs> he doesn't need to know what happened. What did Bib Fortuna do to him, and you know, to to warrant that kind of like get out? <laughs> well, he was sitting in his chair, quite frankly. And that is what it works out to be. So, uh. uh putting a hole in him boba walks up surreptitiously dumps him on the floor and then takes a seat in the throne fennec shan grabs a bottle of liquor off the back sits down on the arm of the seat has a big swig fade to black and we get some text on the screen the book of boba fett coming december, december 2021 wow so wow. and, and so another emotion all within about five minutes yeah. Whole other emotion. My mind went because we at the very end of the last uh, of our uh, bonus episode yep. last week, we we said curiously, <laughs> no Boba Fett episode, uh, show was announced. I know and that was the one that there was the most speculation about. So it was a little more uh, misdirection. And how do you yeah. hide that stuff from us? And and thank you for hiding it because what a great reveal. Yeah. And I think this is that limited series that where it was being rumored. Maybe three, four weeks ago. I want to. I want to posit something else here for a minute because you can't not. You can't not bring this up. So first of all, I just want to say, uh, in terms of the, where is it here? The uh, oh yeah. So I in my notes, I'm like Boba the Crime Lord. Like yeah. question mark, question mark, question mark. 
I'm like, after this whole season of the Mandalorian where, you know, there's this, like, we get this, this depth of character about his, his code of honor that is more than we've ever seen before where he's like, he's like the, he's the good bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, I have a hard time believing that he's going to flip and become this ruthless crime lord, ostensibly taking over Jabba's whole organization. At the same time, though, having the resources of a crime syndicate at your fingertips definitely uh, allows you to tell bigger stories. So from that perspective, it's cool. But I don't know if I like the idea of him being a crime lord. You watched the Luke Cage stuff, Netflix and Luke Cage series? I was series. just going to say that. They're yeah. Looked... This is where season three was going with Luke Cage, which yeah. was right where the comics go with him, which is he's the, he's the ruler of the Magia in the comics, Yeah. but he's still Luke Cage, the superhero. So he's absolutely using the resources of a criminal empire to do to his, his superhero to antics, do, if you will. Uh, good work, I so actually yes. think that this is going to be his seat for the narration of... of what ostensibly will be the tale of Boba Fett. And you might even see some Daniel Logan stuff. Yeah. And you might even see the death of Boba Fett and, yeah. and exactly how Cobb Vanth got the armor. I think you might see a bunch of stuff like that. Well, I think this might just be the, the, the frame, uh, the storytelling uh, mechanism is him having a, a, a steady base of operations. I just want to preface what I'm going to say with the, with the statement. I, fully agree that this is 99% likely a brand new, whether it's a limited mini series or other event series, as I think, I think Kathleen Kennedy and Disney, they actually referred to some of the stuff that's happening as event series or event projects. That's right. I am more than inclined to go that way, but I can't not bring this up. Yes, um, I know. <laughs> um, so books, I say the book of Boba Fett, right? Because that's what they're calling it. Books yep. are books are arranged in chapters. They are, sir. Guess what else was arranged in chapters? Yes, sir. Every the episode of the Mandalorian. Of the so, yes. retroactively, are we are we basically? I I can't. I have to ask the are question. Did we just watch the book of Dinjarn? That's or yes. And the is first book yeah. of Dinjarn. sure the first book of Dinjarn? And is season three of the Mandalorian going to be? The book of Boba Fett, because the airtime yeah. the airtime lines up with what they publicly said about the airing of season three of Mandalorian, and it doesn't exactly. mean it doesn't mean that you can't have Din Djarin and everybody else along for the ride, but they become secondary, like Cara Dune, Grief Karga, Quill, and all those other characters, and now it's through the eyes of Boba Fett. It certainly could have been the what they've always wanted, but that they had to get there in a way that the fans wouldn't just go, Oh, right. We, this has been so organic and natural that I would accept. And who, who's to say that the, (laughs) like, I, like I said before, we have that Vizsla character from season one being a legitimate, uh, he's a Vizsla contender for the the throne. That's right. We have the princess of Mandalore now, a legitimate contender for the throne. We have Boba, who is ostensibly the son of Django, who is the student of ja- Jaster, Jaster. Who in Legends is the, the Mandalore, and Django serves as the Mandalore. So you have another contender. And so it's easy to see that story being told still through the eyes of Din Djarin. Yeah. 
but having it framed as the book of Boba Fett's the next chapter in the Mandalorian, maybe the Mandalorian is, you know, maybe he's not the man. Maybe it's, well, this is it. We have enough, we have, we have enough Mandalorian characters in season two that, like I say, maybe seasons one and two were the book of, of Din Maybe seasons three and four will be the book of Boba Fett. Five, six, the book of Bo-Katan. It's entirely six, six, seven, the book of Sabine Wren, you know, like we have lots of different ways to tell stories and lots of ways to make the Mandalorian centric. We've said all along that the Mandalorian is to be central to everything. And ostensibly he was, he was at the center of everything. Yeah. But we can still, we can take that character, shift him to a secondary role, bring one of our other Mandalorian characters forward. And the show still works as the Mandalorian. It's yeah, just in, a different in, Mandalorian. In a, in a very game of Thrones way where yeah. the chapters focus on different characters and you're telling the same story still. All the speculation that we made and the, the jokey kind of like, haha, you know, when we said that the show was a, was the spiritual sort of successor. Like this was the thing that spun out of those ideas for that mm-hmm. Boba Fett series from like uh, a decade ago, That's you right. know, and we said, what if this is the literal passing of the torch? Well, turns out we might not be so far off the mark. No, but at, in the, at the end of this episode, moving into what we know has been called a season three, which they've yep. moved into production for already. Right now, Din Djarin is the Mandalore. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so there's there's going to have to be, even if it's the, the book of Boba Fett, who yeah. maybe wants to be the Mandalore too, there's going to be some reckoning there. There has to be some conflict there to solve that. That's what's Bo-Katan. For a year, I'm going to have to play with action figures and figure the friggin' thing out. <laughs> yes. And Bo-Katan is going to be central to that. And I, I have a theory on that as well. And I just want to touch on that. The um, first couple episodes... After the uh, the Mandalorian covert was uh, destroyed on Navarro, Din put some energy into like. There's even some mention about there being other Mandalorian coverts. So I just wanna, mm-hmm. I wanna go back and I wanna touch on specifically on that character on the the Paz Visla character that okay. John that John Favreau played. And I'm gonna put it out here. It's a very loose theory. There's nothing. I have no reason to think that this is real for any reason other than it's my own pure speculation and it's part of the show that we like to do. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that character, uh, Paz Vizsla, he survived the destruction of the Mandalorian Covert of Navarro. Perhaps he and the armorer even, and, and maybe the armorer is sort of pulling the strings for him. But given what we know of that character, just in that one episode, he's very much a child of the watch. He's... He believes in the way of the Mandalore. He he really like look at the way he insulted Din Djarin about you you take money from them and you know you skulk around down here, but then you trade openly trade with them. As a Vizsla, as pre Vizsla's ancestor, I think that he is a great candidate to to pose against Din Djarin for the the throne of Mandalore. Agreed. To create the tension and the drama that we need. So Din Djarin can can go ahead and he can he can lose the dark saber to Paz Vizsla, creating an opportunity for Bo-Katan or Boba Fett to claim it uh, at a later time. Which means that Bo-Katan, who I think I personally like her characterization, I think she makes mm-hmm. a, a better ally than an adversary, and I don't yes. want her to be an adversary to Din Djarin. So that works for me to maintain that relationship, and that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> 
I, I, I tend to agree, actually. There's a lot, there's a lot that's been set up and there's a lot that, that is obvious, but there's, there's so much that it's in the realm of, of speculation. And, oh yeah. And they've hit us with so many, like, how do you top this? Like literally, how do you, what do you do now? I what, like, I, you just jump the shark and how do you, <laughs> um, I don't know what you do to top this man. In the like, history, yeah, I, like in the history of our show, best episode ever. Best episode <laughs> ever. I got one more thing I want to bring up. It's a small point uh, and it's a small object, but uh, let's not forget that uh, the shift knob is still in Din Djarin's belt. That's right. And uh, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Uh, when he gets a new ship, you can't tell me that that thing's not going to go on a, a lever somewhere. On and a that's, lever or hang from the mirror. Yeah, it's something. It's yeah. it's his connection to Grogu. It's how we it's how we started the show, and uh, I'm sure through you know camera angles and camera trickery, we are always going to be reminded of Grogu through that de- that device, and it may serve to. Uh, to bring Grogu back into the story at a later date. You have not seen the last of Grogu and we can, we can rest easy in that, even if it is because it's nefarious and that he's too much of a source of revenue for Disney to just walk away. from. Well, okay. There is that. that that's really <laughs> so I superficial. But I also think that, um, well, I mean, there's that whole attachment thing, right? He does. It doesn't want to go with you, but he just wants permission. I think he's going to come back. I think there'll be, I actually said to Kim uh, yesterday, and I, I'm going to put it out here now. There's this creates an interesting opportunity, um, and again, this whole Star Wars being like a like poetry and and being repetitive. Does this not create a moment where Grogu becomes the Luke Skywalker character when Luke runs off to save Han and Leia on Bespin? So now, hundred percent, something happens to Din Djarin. And Grogu has a vision in the Force, and then he runs off to save his father, and then just never. I'd love be- to see a teenage Grogu. Yeah, and then just never goes back, and then they're reunited, and you know he's he's well trained, trained well enough in the Jedi arts that, you know, he just, you know, walks the path of the Mandalore and just happens to have Jedi training. They've literally peeled enough threads off the sweater that there's a million other stories they could tell. Yeah, for so much more generations. So 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 much. Yeah. Do we think that this That's uh, the importance of linking them too to the legacy characters is to weave the legacy carries characters deftly in there so that there's there's these physical points of connection that you can that you can you know yeah. that's how we we kick off to the next level by by having these little benchmarks. Well, and like you say though, it has to be done. It has to be organic. It can't be contrived. And turns out that uh, you know. This whole, uh, we spent so much time theorizing and arguing why it, it could be and should be, uh, you know, Ezra Bridger versus uh, Cal Kestis and like right down to, well, Cal Kestis has a working knowledge of, of how the, the stone <laughs> yeah, works. Seems, and yeah, we were right in there. We really, recall, we convinced ourselves. Yeah. You know, well, you recall that the very first time we started speculating about this, the, the logical conclusion for all of us was Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And then we but went, that we no, that's really too on the Disney nose. Go that direction for so many of, of other reasons that we immediately just pushed it out of our heads. And yeah. I think that's what they were banking on. Yeah. And I just didn't think they were going to tell that big a story. Yeah, uh, me, or, neither did I. Or connect Grogu that, that directly to the legacy. 
yeah. character is that 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 puts him in their care that puts him he's going he's off to meet leia he's going to be sitting in chewbacca's lap now him and c-3po are going to have arguments there's like you know what i mean like yeah he's he's just got adopted into the into the crew yeah yeah for sure he has right if they were to make a fifth episode 4.5 or 6.5 grogu would be a character in that that movie between, oh my gosh yeah yeah right? yeah and we're going to get novels about this now. Well, yeah, you novels and comics that, right? and we're all of the side. A new, a new Jedi Academy novel sort of thing going on with, I think you're going to explore the character of Luke Skywalker. Uh, oh, again. I guess. Yeah. Speaking of novels, let, just just because it's in the title, um, we can't rule out the, the possibility that the book of Boba Fett is actually a novel. And, well, no, and, but that's very and not a show at all. Do you That's, know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it could be misdirected. It's sound, it, it, silly as it sounds, the book of Boba Fett could quite literally be a book. You know, I'm not ruling that out. But uh, and then there's the, uh, the the also the connotation of the movie, the Book of Eli, where he's the last holy man on the planet. Yeah, you know, he's the yeah, last yeah. righteous man in a world gone absolutely batshit mental. Right, um, right, right. That that reference wasn't sort of lost on me either. Oh, I think, and while we're on the subject, uh, before we forget, Andy, you've got a reference for uh, for our Bib Fortuna character. We do, played by Lucasfilm sound designer Matthew Wood. Yeah, who is best known for voicing General Grievous in Revenge of the Sith, but oh, nice. General Kenobi. He yeah. also did a ton of voice work on Clone Wars. Yeah, so I met Very him cool. at a at a previous fan expo when he was just nice. getting involved. Uh, early seasons of Clone Wars when they actually did, when Grievous made an appearance and he was so, when I stepped up to his table to get the autograph, I, I grabbed the Grievous photo for him to sign and he was literally laughing. And I don't mean he was laughing at me like, nah, sucker, you're getting, a, no, he was laughing like, I can't believe I'm part of Star Wars. Like he was so, oh, yeah. so just elated to be part of it. And like, without even me saying anything, he's like, oh, General Kenobi, you're a bold one in voice, right? And I'm just like, this is so cool. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, so we have a a, a year now uh, before yeah. we get to revisit these characters, and I and I didn't I didn't dig deep to look at. Uh, do we know any more dates for any of the other properties that were announced? Is anything coming between Nothing now and then? Yet. No, uh, actually, I just saw one today. Uh, streaming December 25th, Gallery Season 2, oh, that's making great. of Mandalorian oh, Season need, 2. Hey, guys. So, Merry <laughs> Christmas. Should we do a, we do a <laughs> we gallery can, breakdown or uh, what? There's always interesting things to talk about there. I think that that would be a good supplemental. And maybe let's, uh, well, that's going to be, it'll be after Christmas. So, if that's December 25th, the first Saturday after Christmas, what does that look like i'm just gonna look at my calendar here that would be new year's day oh shoot. how's your head gonna be new year's day new year's day is probably not a good idea for me <laughs> oh you're right it is new year's day but sunday. <laughs> no it's sun- uh, saturday sunday. is the saturday is the second it is yeah so maybe we'll be okay okay so we could watch it uh watch it is it gonna be the whole season andy or are they all gonna i think be they in? might drop the whole season uh, last year they dropped them in component. They dropped like issues, like episodes one and two, and then they dropped us at three, like or four. a couple at a time. Out, yeah, we'll have to see, but we can certainly watch it all and then just contain our. Yeah, we could do we could do it as a single uh, a single episode uh, uh, of all of the gallery episodes once they're all out, or we could like 
chunk them up into smaller bits. I think that might serve our yeah. our conversation like style maybe a little before, better. Like, it might a ninth sort of recapping the whole everything up to now. Like, I do think we should come back next week and we should do this again and, and talk just about to have our thoughts in order, our uh, highlights. Yeah. And I'm going to actually do exactly what you said earlier is I'm going to watch yep. all 16 chapters in as a fan now. Yeah. Uh, unless as, as a, as a critic, as an analyst. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I, I, I think I'd be really primed for an overall, not a review, but just a just like here's 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 it all in a nutshell, and here's how yep. I feel about it, and here's how we're going to move forward. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. it just have a nice holistic conversation about the thing as a whole, yeah. and uh, you know, just maybe pick out some highlights and things that we really liked about. I'm the, sure there's going to be thoughts that bubble up this week about how it all because it's oh still for so sure there yeah yeah, oh, yeah it's like a happy little wound. And you know, all, the, all those other media guys are going to spend the rest of the week and coming weeks uh, doling out mm-hmm. their little tidbits yeah, and stuff up. and hopefully them, uh give them let them play catch up with us that's right hopefully they'll uh they'll use us again <laughs> of course i'd be ignorant to think that we're the only ones that are hitting on the same the same points no, but uh, we definitely are the best <laughs> no bias there whatsoever so dear listeners if you think that uh you know you'd like to hear us uh, riff on the gallery episodes uh, hit us up on our social media send us an email over at uh, fan power three let us know what you think and uh, I guess going forward, uh, it's bittersweet, gentlemen. This has been eight weeks of uh, pure joy for me, even in the, the ones that weren't uh, as enjoyable as this week's episode. But we have it's been an incredible ride. Incredible so much, ride. so much Star Wars uh, to look forward to and other properties uh, that I think are going to warrant uh, coming back to. And, and I'm really looking forward to taking fandom power in other directions with other properties. Like I said before, I'm really looking forward to doing the uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations when that comes out for Netflix. I want to come back and and revisit that. Um, And certainly a few other things that I think will fit our conversation style nicely. Super excited for the Willow Project. Yeah, me too. Love work, Davis. I can't, you know, you don't get to see enough of him without creature effects on him. So I'm super happy to, uh, to see him get something, a vehicle to uh, keep him relevant. Cause he's such a, he's a treat to, to watch. Amazing. All right, guys, that's it for me. Uh, once again, super happy to be able to do this with you guys. And I can't wait to uh, get back together and keep the story going. So guys, until the next time, may the force be with you. Also with you. All right. And uh, I don't know what the way is anymore, but uh This is it. It's still the way, man. This is it. All right. Until next time, my friends. Bye for now. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. And when your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? 